2015. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Poke Runyon. And tonight we have as a guest the leading authority on African-American folk tradition of hoodoo magic or root work. And that's Catherine Ironwood of the Lucky Mojo Curio Company. Now, Catherine is the author of Hoodoo, Herb, and Root Magic and Paper in My Shoe, along with several other related titles. And she will explain the differences between hoodoo, santeria, and voodoo, and she'll describe how this unique American folk magic tradition arrived here with the slaves in the Old South and continued to evolve, incorporating European, Solomonic, and even Native American additions to become a living magical system now practiced all over the United States. So, if you want to catch up on your American magical cross-training, that's sneaky feet type anthropology, this is a session you really need to hear. And... uh, uh, I, I want to say that, that I've known Catherine for years, and, and, and she really is. She has done a wonderful job uh, uh, putting, save, saving, actually saving this, this tradition from, uh, from dying out. And uh, she's here with us now. And, uh, Catherine, you want to, uh, you, you know, you, would you start off like like we were talking on the phone the other day and 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 about the 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 the, the, the word hoodoo and where it comes from because that's a fascinating story. All right, I poke. It's so nice to be on the radio with you and thanks for having me. And first of all, that was a great build up, but I have to say that I can't take all the credit for all the things you attributed to me, but I am a person who's been in this tradition a long time and I have kind of stored up a few bits of pieces of uh, history and um, and practice and theory as well. So hoodoo, uh, th- this is a word that a lot of people from the ceremonial magic tradition, which is your tradition, are unfamiliar with. Very often they confuse it with the word voodoo or vodun as they want to sometimes pronounce it. But voodoo is a, a West African word that means spirit or spirituality. And hoodoo is actually a Scottish word. And, uh, well, you might ask, how did a Scottish word get into African-American culture? Well, the same way a lot of English and Irish Gaelic words got into American language uh, through other immigrants. Now, hoodoo, when I was young, I'd always see these white people write hoodoo as two words, H-O-O, and capital D-O-O. And I'd always say, why do they? They're so ignorant, they always write it as two words. I thought every black person I knew spelt it as one word, hoodoo. And a lot of white people did, but there was always these white people with two words, and they were very persistent. They were very, that was the way they spelled it. And I began to do some research, and I found out that hoodoo is actually uh, Gaelic or Scottish, and it means a a ghostly spirit, and specifically the ghostly spiky spirit of a hawthorn tree. In other words, something that when you look at it, it looks kind of spiky or weird around the edges, and it's a ghost. And that explained to me why all up around the northern United States and in Canada and Alberta, they they have these rock formations that when you look at them from a distance, they look like weird, eerie people with these sort of spiky protuberances uh, standing out, blown by the wind or by water. They're called hoodoos, because some English, Scottish, Irish travelers saw them and said, ooh, they look like ghosts. They're hoodoos. And um, the first use of the word hoodoo in the English language in uh, in print was to describe a ship. And a hoodoo ship is, and this is from the 1850s, a hoodoo ship is a ship that was found floating at sea with no crew, like the Marie Celeste as a hoodoo ship, a ghost ship, or it could also be used to describe a ship on which various unfortunate incidents happened. A disease had broken out on repeated voyages or people had died repeatedly, bad luck, broken uh, sail, posts, whatever you call those things, the, the yard arms or whatever. Right? And that's a hoodoo ship. It's cursed. So hoodoo entered into um, African-American culture to me something ghostly, mysterious, and possibly uh, negative or frightening. Root work, which is a synonym, 
it means working with roots. That's pretty neutral. It just means working with roots. Another word we find in black culture for this folk magic is conjure, and that's from the English word conjure, meaning to create something. You conjure up a vision. And a conjurer is a stage magician. So there's a little bit of the um, humbug in the word conjure, but not usually as used by black people. Conjure is just a word. It means doing this stuff. And other words for it are doing this stuff and tricking. And tricking seems to come from Native American translation of the idea of trickers. In other words, witch doctors were called trickers in, in a, a literal translation. And so a mojo bag, a little uh, prayer bag or a little spell bag, is sometimes called a trick bag. And uh, those are some of the words that are used. Of course, the word witchcraft is used especially down in Virginia, where black people lived for a longer time among white people, and they were English, and they absorbed English language, and they just called it witchcraft, just straight up. So those are the four most common words, hoodoo, witchcraft, root work, conjure. There you go. There's your answer to your question. Yeah. Well, that's that. Yeah, that's fascinating, and... and uh... Uh, especially to us anthropologist types, and 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 uh, uh, now you 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 uh, you also uh, told me, and and uh, and it's it's part of what we want to really get into, is how you you became the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the savior of of the, of the tradition here, uh, and yeah, because literally. Uh, well, you know, uh, I have a I know I know a guy out in Pompeii Island uh, who uh, who uh, went out there and he built himself a resort hotel and he and he uh, and his son uh, spent a lot of time uh, helping the the natives out there in Pompeii save their traditions and this is in a way kind of uh, same thing that you did you you. Uh, you uh, went up to San Francisco back during the uh, during the uh, yeah, at the dawn of the of the psychedelic era and whatever, uh, mm-hmm. and and settled in uh, up in 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 Berkeley and in that area, and and that's where you uh, you got got in with these old uh, these old root workers and and learned their craft and and uh, tell us tell us about that now and and uh, and how you how you became the like I said, the, 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 the savior of the root of the work tradition. Go ahead. I won't. I I I won't take that word savior. I won't. I, I'll just lay that right back down on the table and thank you kindly. Um, but I I will say documenter. But here's the thing. You mentioned anthropologists. There have been black anthropologists and white anthropologists documenting hoodoo, but their documentation remained fairly academic, and. What was missing, I think, was a link between um, white American magicians and hoodoo. They just didn't know much about it. But there was, there have been a tremendous number of people documenting it, going back to the 1890s, uh, back at Hampton Institution, which is a traditional, the, now it's Hampton University. It was an all-black uh, uh, college at the time, and they documented hoodoo there and wrote about it. Uh, it was reprinted in the Journal of American Folklore. And so there's always been a lot of that. When I started... Um, collecting this material. As you mentioned, I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was born in San Francisco um, and raised pretty much in Berkeley and in Oakland. Well, uh, when I was young, I I was a big fan of uh, music, and I was wandering around looking for a record, and I needed to go down to Oakland to get the record. And rather than take the bus home, I, I walked home, and I saw a little sign for a shop, and it said, uh, Candles, spiritual supplies uh, painted in white paint on the glass and i i thought well i'll just go in there and see if they have some nice candles <laughs> you know um and i went in and i saw right away that everybody in there but me yeah. was black and i said is it okay if i shop here and they said sure it is and i began to ask questions and so what i had stumbled into and didn't really know at first was um what a candle shop was i had no idea i knew what folk magic was my grandfather uh, teo erlinger collected folk magic of all types of people, um, peasant um, art and peasant furniture and stuff. I mean, he was, so I knew what folk art was and I knew what folk magic was. But um, but I was about 14 years old and I began to write down what people would tell me. And what I had um, really found was that the East Bay, which I didn't really understand this fully at the time as a teenager, the East Bay had been heavily impacted by World War II when um, Pearl Harbor 
the fleet at Pearl Harbor was destroyed. There were no ships to guard the West Coast, nor ships to, to mount an invasion of Japan. So they needed to build ships. They couldn't build them out at Pearl Harbor anymore. That place had been wrecked, and it was too far away to defend. So they decided to build ships on the West Coast. And for one reason or another, they decided to pick the, the Bay Area. And they, they built Treasure Island. They had the Concord uh, Naval Base. They had um, Alameda. They had Mare Island and so forth. All these different places they were building ships, Point Richmond and so forth. And they did not want to bring in shipyard workers from the East Coast in case the Germans might invade, but they figured they could run uh, patrol boats between Cuba and Florida, and they would uh, protect the Gulf Coast. So they sent out a call for shipyard workers from the Gulf to come to the East Bay because they didn't need as many in the Gulf because they figured it wasn't going to be invaded, which it was not. So these call for these people to come out was like in the newspaper you know, you need a good job come out to california and of course people didn't need to be invited twice to get away from some of the southern racism and, and southern poverty and they moved up to the east bay and got good jobs working as longshoremen as, as ship builders painters um you know fitters and um and also uh, working for the merchant marine fleet and um I have to mention, too, that my father worked uh, doing that same sort of job. There were a lot of jobs. So the people that I met in these candle shops in the early 1960s were the the remnant settled of people from northern Louisiana and um, and then also the like Morgan City and, and places like that, which were on the coast, um, up to Memphis, uh, down into East Texas, Houston, and a lot of people who were just in the that area and up the Mississippi Delta. They were all over the East Bay, and they, of course they needed candle shops because that's what they were used to, and so they had them. And that's what I had wandered into. And the people who taught me were mostly the age of my own parents. But they, meanwhile, had brought out, they'd gotten a good job, and they'd gotten a house, and they'd brought out their own mother, right? So now they were grandmothers coming out. And these were the, the, you know, the age of my grandmother, and I learned from them. And then, of course, the kids I went to school with, because I, I grew up in a racially integrated uh, school district. Uh, the kids I went to school with also knew all about this stuff. So I began writing it down. I thought I was the only person writing it down. And, of course, my mother disabused me of that notion right away. She got me a copy of Nubel Niles Puckett's Folk Beliefs of the Southern Negro from 1926 because she was a research librarian. And she also got me a copy of Mules and Men by Zora Neale Hurston. And I thought, well, I'm the, I'm the, the third person to write this down since then, but that was wrong. Uh, there had been a man named Reverend Harry M. Hyatt, Harry Middleton Hyatt, and he had been collecting this material on a, on a wax cylinder recordings and then transcribing it since the 1930s, but he hadn't published it. And so I collected and collected and thought I was going to be what you thought, the Savior. But what happened was in the 1970s, after 40 years, he finally published his books, five volumes of them and i thought well nobody needs me anymore because he just wrote the books i mean he he put five books out and the funny thing was in the by the 1990s what i realized was that people uh in the internet you know that's how you and i met you know in the internet we we're talking around in usenet in the old days they had no idea who harry hyatt was they had no idea who these books were uh who the people were who had uh helped him by giving all these interviews 1600 black practitioners Nobody knew who they were, you know, and or knew Bell Niles Puckett. So I began to write about what I knew, and um, and I had my own old notes and things like that. And I I knew things that Hyatt did not know, and Hyatt knew things I didn't know. My work was a little different than his. He would interview people and get a very brief statement. I would go back and ask again and again and again, and I was more interested in products, and he was more interested in um what I would call a more rural layer. Of course, he was collecting in the 30s. I was interested in things like candles and oils. He often would reject an interview with someone if they mentioned oils. He'd write, NG, no good, went to a, a store because he didn't want to document hoodoo stores. He only wanted to document kind of rural, backwoodsy kind of guys, which is great. But um, but by the time I came along, everybody was buying things out of stores and had really started doing that in the 30s, 20s, late 20s, 1927 about so I'm not the savior, but I did save an awful lot of stuff that otherwise wouldn't have been saved. But I also think what I did that was the most important, and I will stand by that, was kind of systematized and put everything well, together. These, these stores, uh, Kathy, stores you're mentioning, uh, are these uh, uh, are, are these what what uh, 
we call in other parts of the country uh, uh, botanicos. Uh, uh, is that Not what really. is that what you call them? No. Yeah, those no, are those they're, are they're, 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 those, those, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, botanica is a, botanica means a place where you can buy botanical items, and um, those are really connected to Santeria, Palo, um, and other Afro-Caribbean religions. So the, the word you would look up, if you look up in the yellow pages, if you went to a town like Kansas City or you went to a town like St. Louis, what you would look for is candle shop. Candle shop, sometimes they'll say candles, herbs, incense. They're very, they, they don't call themselves botanicas because remember, they don't speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. So why would I call that a botanica, you know? Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of thought that, and again, I'm not trying to criticize the ignorant, but a lot of people think that just because, you know, two or three people have dark skin, they're all going to have the same culture. But that ain't so. Um, and no more so than a blonde-haired northern Italian would have the same culture as a blonde-haired Norwegian. Their cultures really are different. And um, the African-American experience is different than the Jamaican experience, is different than the Haitian experience, different than the Cuban black experience, or even the black Mexicans of Veracruz. They they have different traditions. So my interest was really in hoodoo, which is American, USA American. Yeah. And that that brings us back to... uh, uh, well, this gets us into this one. I said originally that you were going to you were going to uh, explain the difference the differences between the uh, hoodoo and and uh, uh, Santeria and uh, and Buddha oh, yeah. and whatever because there's a lot of <laughs> sure. and, and there's a lot of people who have uh, people seem to have get them all confused and and uh, the so mm-hmm. the hoodoo and then then hoodoo. Uh, uh, as you say, is is it is definitely American, and and we can't we can't relate it to the uh, uh, to the to the Spanish uh, to the Spanish because there's a Spanish uh, you know there, there there there's a Spanish and uh, and African and they, you know we may call it a Hispano African uh, culture in that in you know, all the way around from Veracruz, all the way around and uh, the uh, the Gulf, and, right. and there's right. that, that's right. and that's not, and that's not hoodoo, and hoodoo is more, uh, yeah. Would you would you explain explain some of the differences in in these in these uh, traditions, these cultures? Sure, sure. See now, uh, the American culture is always mingled. I mean, you know, uh, there's. If you look back on American culture, just any part of it, but let's just look at folk magic specifically, you'll find um, white Americans, by which I mean Anglo-Americans, Anglo-Irish, Scottish Americans, came to the USA, and they met with Native Americans, became fascinated by Native American uses of herbs. And you'll find all of these tonics and stuff in the 19th century, swamp root and all that, you know, that kind of stuff I'm talking about, kickapoo yeah. juice and all that stuff. That was white people playing with Native American ideas and um, and medicine. Well, the Africans did the same thing because they came over from Africa. They knew how to use what was growing in Africa, but those plants were not growing in America. They weren't able to bring them over with them. And so they, they basically picked up Native American substitutes. They would say, well, what do you use for that? Well, we use that. Okay, well, we use that too. And they would make uh, parallels or, or you know things. So in some ways, um, American white folk medicine and American black folk medicine are parallel because they both picked up from Native American. But there are other ways in which they differ because Africans brought a whole lot of African basic magical concepts such as hot and spicy, um, uh, the use of hot and spicy things to drive people away, and there's kind of hot and burning spicy like red pepper, or there might be hot and warming like uh, spicy like cinnamon or ginger, which would be used to enhance love, heat things up in a in an emotional or um, uh, active way. And the differences between these, the use of these, are not really found in Anglo-American folk magic. They don't even have hot and spicy as a magical concept. So some of these concepts are African, both, uh, uh, you know, um, Pennsylvania, Dutch, Germanic, you know, they brought in some American, Native American ideas too. They call, nowadays they call Bracharai powwow. Well, powwow literally is a word that comes from Native American. So, um, 
there are there are these inclusions or creolizations or you know uh some people would even call them appropriations mingling you know um but but the african hoodoo retained a an african quality not because it is inherently must be different but because of social pressures of racism and segregation had black Americans been allowed to freely mingle with white Americans, we would be looking at a mingled folk magic. But you see, we're not. And well, so, but, but, however, what, uh, uh, that brings up the point that that uh, that there is some European uh, European uh, uh, magic has, especially the Solomonic type. Has yes. has kind of gotten into it, and and yes. you know like uh, well we were we 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 both talked about the, the, the about the Delorance the Delorance books, you know yes. I, I remember remember the story about the about the anthropologist down in Jamaica that finally got to the old witch doctor of the Maroons and he said now I'm going to show you the secret of my power and he and he unwraps the great the great Hindu book of <laughs> yeah, right, right. Hindu book of magic, which which right. is really a lift of the magus. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So well, you 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 yeah, you've hit something real important here too. And I gotta again just to let you let you see how my way of thinking about it. You know, if you like somebody's music, you might copy it and and make it a little bit like yours. And and yeah. uh, if it's done systematically, people might say, well, gee, that's a ripoff. But you know, there's a lot of. Um, white people who copy black music and people think that flows one way but it does not you'll find um people like tommy johnson a blues singer singing yodel when he recorded in grafton wisconsin why did he sing a yodel hey because he he liked white guys music you're not you're not forced to stick with exactly what you were born with you can choose and pick and among the hoodoo practitioners in the 19 uh, teens when L.W. DeLawrence of Chicago was pirating books and he was bringing in all of these books like the Magus and other books and pirating them, rewriting them. He brought in the pictorial key to the Tarot by Arthur Edward Waite and put his own name on it. I mean, the guy was a book pirate, but he sold his books all over the world and he sold the sixth and seventh books of, of uh, Moses. It was banned in Jamaica. To this day, people from Jamaica call me up and ask if they can get a copy of the Sixth and Seventh Books of Moses. I think the ban has been lifted in Jamaica, but people are still afraid to order it. They order it from the United States. So DeLawrence's books, when Harry Hyatt went around um, uh, collecting folklore in the 30s, he found a number of good old-fashioned black root workers who said, oh, yeah, you got to speak Hebrew to do this spell, and you gotta, you know, you got to have the seal of such and such. And they used the seals of Moses as well as the seals of Solomon and the black pullet. Now, when I was young, I rediscovered that because Hyatt's books had not come out, even though Hyatt had done those interviews. Those were not published. So I'm going through this, and I decided I was going to buy 100 mojo bags until I figured out what a mojo bag really was. And I saved my money, and I bought... I got it to about number 25 when I began to notice that a bunch of them had seals of Solomon in them. And I'm like, what the F? You know, what is with that? How could black people know? And so I began to look. They were printed and they had these little numbers on them, M1. These were the mosaic seals or S20. And I'm like, those are the Solomonic seals. What is this? And I found out that um, DeLorence had sold mosaic seals and solomonic seals in these little well originally they were leatherette little cases back with that hindu book back in the old editions you get this little case with those cut up seals you know what i'm talking about right poke yeah and and, they came right uh, with it right well those were used those were used to put in a mojo bag (laughs) and by the time i was young uh, those were being printed by Fulton Religious Supply. Well, when they passed on, and uh, 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 then the, the next people who was printing them, I guess, was Anna Riva, and um, and so forth and so on. And they're still being printed. Those mosaic seals and Solomonic seals are still being used in mojo bags. But they use them a little different. They don't use them the way you would poke. They don't use them the way a European ceremonial magician would use them. What they do is cut them out, and they use them as a petition paper. They write their petition on the back of them. So you might use like one of the pentacles of Jupiter. I don't know, fourth pentacle of Jupiter, right, for wealth, right? And on the back of it you write, 
maybe the 23rd Psalm, which is for prosperity and good things, right, in small type, you know, you're a little tiny, or you might just say, bring me the money on the back of it, you see, you put some herbs and roots in it, fold it up, put it in a mojo bag, and I know it sounds very complex, but that's how culture is, you know, it's a borrowing that has become so much a part of um, of hoodoo that you'll find it all over the country. Yeah, uh, which now, and tell us uh, uh, about your your book, uh, uh, Paper in My Shoe, because uh, I, and I I didn't ask you about that the other day. When uh, is that have yeah. something to do with putting one of these seals in your in your uh, in your shoe print or something? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It Paper in My Shoe is a book that I had to write. I didn't want to write it, but I had to write it. I wrote a book called Who to Urban Root Magic back in. Uh, 2002, and in it I I put in a few examples of ways to write a petition paper, and I put in only the most fancy and complicated ones, and I did a whole, I'm a typesetter, and I did all this fancy typesetting and made them look really cute, and um, and then I used them, and people began to tell me that they thought that's the way all petition papers should be, and when I would teach a course that they'd want to please the teacher, they'd turn in a petition paper, look just like one of the five different examples I'd given in that book and I didn't like that because there's so many I didn't I realized that they were playing follow the leader rather than go out in the field and be anthropologists themselves (laughs) and uh, so I wrote a book paper in my shoe kind of to go play catch up on the history of the use of papers and folk magic all around the world everything that has influenced hoodoo and then the second half of the book is papers in hoodoo and the third uh Part of the book is spells that use papers. So it's like a three-part book. But petition papers, name papers, and prayer papers are three different things. I don't think they were ever considered three different things until I systematized it. I'm a kind of a, I'm a bullet-pointed list person. So name papers have a name on them. Could have a name on a birthday. Could be written on a photo. Could be, a, you know, a, a check, a sample of handwriting. It's a name paper. Um a, a petition paper has a desire on it, you know, bring me the money, uh, have so-and-so love me, whatever it may be. And a prayer paper is literally where you copy out a prayer, but it could be a, a piece from the Bible, a portion of the Bible, or it could be a prayer in your own uh, words. In other words, you might say, um, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or you could just say, Lord, please keep me free from need and want, you know, however you wish to do it. Three types. So that's what that yeah. book is about. It just came out this year. It's a brand new book. Yeah, the the uh, uh, the one, of course, I'm looking at right now that you that you sent me uh, a couple of years back is is Hoodoo Herb and and Root Magic, uh, mm-hmm. a Materia Magic of African American Conjure, and traditional formulary giving the spiritual uses of natural herbs, roots, minerals, and zoological curios. And this is a very, very handsome, handsome publication. Of course, I should mention, along with uh, my introduction, that you've been you've been involved in in uh, in popular culture uh, publishing for quite some time, in in comic books and 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 in in uh, a number of uh, popular publication projects. And you're a very good, very good editor and and typesetter and and uh, and. So uh, this uh, this particular book has an introduction that covers a lot of what we've been talking about tonight. Uh, but you want to talk about this this book a little bit because I, I know that that our um, our listeners uh, are, are going to want to. I would think that our listeners would be most interested in in hoodoo herb and root magic. So so you want to tell us really? a little bit about that? About yeah, the yeah, I, I sure will. This is another one of those books that came out of necessity. Um, you know, growing up, I had Maud Greaves' uh, Modern Herbal, you know, by Mrs. Greaves. I mean, everybody had that, and Dover even reprinted it. And I had a bunch of other herbals. I had um, reprints of Culpepper and Gerard's. It was a fabulous reprint of uh, called Leaves from Culpepper's Herbal or, you know, whatever. These were, you know... Uh, these were books that came out in the 30s, and I loved them, and they were really great. And I figured everybody, nobody needed to have new books because, hey, we had the old books. But um, when Scott Cunningham, who was a, a neo-pagan, a Wiccan-type guy, 
Uh, when yeah. Scott Cunningham came out with the Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, I loved that book. But I noticed there was some errors in it as far as my way of thinking. He, for instance, said that really that when nobody used graveyard dirt, they used mullen, the leaf, mullen leaf, uh, as a substitute for graveyard dirt. And I'm like, I never heard of that in my life. Why would anyone? I mean, you just go out to the graveyard and get graveyard dirt. You want to contact with that spirit. And I realized what he was giving me was a, a, a sort of a, a neo-pagan perspective. And he had a lot of things on herbs that were he had he had culled from Culpeper and from Girard. He'd done his he'd done his research and done very well. Leaves from Girard and leaves from Culpeper. He got it all, but he had not really investigated African American stuff. So I began to write what I called the rebuttal <laughs> to, to uh, Scott Cunningham. And it wasn't really meant in any way harsh. I love his book. And I meant to not copy anything he did, but to show what I knew, but against what he knew. And my idea was that if you had Cunningham's book, Encyclopedia Magic Girl Herbs, and you had my book, you'd have kind of the alpha and omega of European-American and African-American material. So I always intended, and that's why I put a green cover on my book, because he had a green cover on his book. And Mm -hmm. I owed a lot of allegiance to him. And again, no attempt to rip him down. He did the really best he could showing European-American folk magic, and I just wanted to show African-American. I took a slightly different approach. I put many, many more spells in. That's just my style. And um, that book is now in its seventh edition. And um, I think it'll probably stay in print as long as I'm alive. So get your copy now, and I'll sign it for you. You know, because well, I, uh, yeah, I, yeah, you did. You already signed it for me. So. <laughs> well, I'm talking about I'm yeah. talking to the radio audience here. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. the radio. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. The radio audience, uh, right? Yeah, they. Uh, okay, well, how do they how do they how do they order how do they order it now now? Well, how they you order can get it on. Yeah, you can get it from Amazon, but it won't be signed if you order from LuckyMojo.com. I sign every book of mine that I send out. Um, I've written a few other books, too, one on bone divination called Throwing the Bones and another one that I edited called The Black Folder, which is a, a scrapbook of a lot of different works on hoodoo and folk magic in general, big, big old scrapbook, and um, and paper in my shoe. So, yeah, I've been working on these uh, books for quite a while. We we have a whole Lucky Mojo publishing venture and and you're right. When you mentioned that I've come out of comic books, I've also published trading cards. And I I like organized groups and bunches and batches of nonfiction uh, information. That's kind of my thing. Um, the trading cards kind of led to the idea of these little 96-page books that we've been doing. So I remember um, you sent me a, a big pack of, of, of King Kong trading cards. Which that's I right. still have. That's right. Yeah, that was after we started the Kong, the Kong cult on 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 old magic. <laughs> right, that's right. You know, and you know something. I tell people about those King Kong trading cards were the first cards that I know that were put out using Photoshop. Me and my ex partner were early adopters of Photoshop, and. We took all those old photos and took all the specs out. And back in those days, it would take four hours to print out a page in Photoshop. <laughs> we would do it overnight. Yeah. We'd work on them and come in the morning, oh, look, it's printed. Oh, yeah. So that, that King Kong deck has a real strong place in my heart because that, 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 that was a time back then. That was a, a long time ago now. Oh, that was. Yeah, I, I just... Uh... I just watched Barbarella uh, the other night. They they reran it on 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 on, uh, on Osborne's uh, you know old movie channel, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that that was an era that will never that will never come back. I I, I think exactly the way it was. <laughs> we 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 had a wild. We were we were all really really in the in the wild and woolly stuff, and uh, um, so, <laughs> anyway uh, uh, on the uh, on the King Kong trading cards uh, I, I have uh, I have uh, had a lot of fun uh, you know uh, using them for stocking stuffers uh, you know yeah. around uh, Christmas time and and uh, and. Anyway, uh, th- there's another book here that that I I started to uh, you know I thought I thought maybe you'd written it, but then it turns out you're the editor of it. But it does bring up something that we do kind of might want to talk about, and it's called Hoodoo Bible Magic, and this is by Charles Porterfield, 
uh, and you mm-hmm. edited it, and you edited it and helped publish it. Um, and, right. Uh, this is where right. And um, the, the other, the other, the other co-writer is uh, Miss Michael, Michael Maurer. Um, they um, co-wrote that book, and it is a dynamite book. It's the one book I wish I had written, but they, but I I was I I have a few page contributions that are credited to me. I I I, I yeah. put in a little bit, but I edited it. And um, Hoodoo Bible Magic is um, really one of our most popular books, and it, it was uh, published by our church. We have a church, you know, everybody has a church, I guess, uh, Missionary yeah. Independent Spiritual Church. And Hoodoo Bible Magic is um, kind of, again, a, an, a book that had to be written because as people began to confuse, as the Internet just propagates bad information, like yeast growing, you know, um, there came this idea that Hoodoo was a form of Santeria. Well, Santeria means worship of the saints. And, of course, there's Lukumi, which is actually African Orisha veneration. And then there's... Uh, Santeria, in which there were saints that are, quote, covers or masks for Lukumi Orishas. And it's like all this whole complicated thing that takes place in Cuba. And it really is, like you said, Hispano-Cuban or Hispano-Catholic or Hispano-Caribbean. It is um, very much influenced by Catholicism. Well, in America, the USA, um, really uh, most uh, black Americans who identify as Christians, identify as Protestants. And yeah. of those, uh, more, way more than any other denomination, they identify as Baptists. And after that comes AME, African Methodist Episcopalian, which is that church that they were just got that massacre, that unfortunate, uh, you know, horrible terror attack. AME churches, and but the Baptist churches are the biggest number. And the Baptist yeah. churches have been pretty open toward hoodoo. A lot of Baptist people practice hoodoo. Another group of churches in America are spiritualist churches, and these came out of the spiritualist movement in the 19th century, which was very pro-abolition, um, in other words, against slavery, pro-temperance, in other words, against alcoholism, and also pro-female suffrage. And so spiritualism had a lot of female leaders, female reverends, female bishops, mm-hmm. and um, and there were a lot of black female bishops. And so there is a small, distinct uh, group of black spiritualists. But black Catholics, not so much. In fact, um, I think by different you know different demographic studies, four percent of black people are Catholic. At yeah. you know. Two percent, six percent. It's not uh, very much. Cat, I, I, I think we got Cast on the line. Cast Burgess. Uh, Cast, oh, are you there? Hi, Cast. I am. Hi, hello, hello. Hi. <laughs> good, good. Well, now that's going to bring in that's going to bring in something else, and that's the influence of Freemasonry <laughs> on right. Hoodoo. Exactly. <laughs> Indeed. Hello, Miss Cat, and hello, Burgess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, all all of us here are. Uh, uh, initiates of the Masonic Mysteries as well, as as far as uh, mm-hmm. uh, that goes, That's we right. weave that into what we do, and it, I think it does give a, a good cross reference. Uh, Kat was saying earlier about the cross pollination that ha- that naturally happens. Um, mm-hmm. I've even heard in some of the other, uh, and we're talking about Hoodoo now, but even some of the other uh, the ATRs, uh, Haitian Voodoo in particular, Maya Darren's book referred to that a lot of the Hunans in Haiti also happen to be members of Masonic lodges. So I'm wondering. Uh, how that's much right. that has as well. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's right. Definitely. And you know, if you if you go into um, study of of blues music, you'll find very many blues musicians were Freemasons too. Uh, Freemasonry right. had a strong um, a part to play in Black American history, and um, I think that the um, interest in ceremonialism and ceremonial mm-hmm. magic. And again, that, that L.W. DeLorence kind of, uh, you know, cross-pollination all kind of fits in with that same thing. Uh, because after all, practicing hoodoo didn't only mean um, revering and venerating, a, you know, life on a plantation as a slave and what someone did to get over back then. It also meant mm-hmm. being upwardly mobile and forward-thinking. And you look at right. people like uh, Dr. E.P. Reed. He was a root doctor out of Philadelphia. He was a Freemason, belonged to Prince Hall Lodge. He was mm-hmm. an astrologer. He sold L.W. DeLorence's books. He um, did horoscopes himself, and he was, of course, sold 
roots and herbs. And I even have some correspondence he wrote where, you know, he would sell the John the Conqueror root to somebody. But his clientele were people who were aiming to make something of their lives. And if that included joining a lodge, they would you know, to, right. to to get up a little bit in the world, to get out of poverty and to get into a, a, a Freemasonic Lodge in those days. For either a white or a black person meant getting a, um, you know what I'm saying, getting a crew of yeah. friends who would be helpful right. to you. And uh, that was important back then, and it still is, I think. Yeah. Aside yeah, from the, aside from the mysteries of masonry, I'm talking exactly. about the stability it provided. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how you refer to the upward mobility and the the situations or the social circumstances that had to do with what you would direct your magical intent for. I say for anyone, you know, getting an insight into the development of even the conditions in Hoodoo, look through the Lucky Mojo of oils, what the names of the conditions are, what the intentions of the conditions are. And that gives you a little insight into where, during the development of the tradition, you would want to direct magical intent because they created a formula for it. It's, it's, like, right. a, it's like setting the, the social dynamic just in the conditions that you're looking at. You know, that's right. And, and there's something else, Cass, that, you, that, that, again, this should probably be said to anybody who's in the audience who's unfamiliar with hoodoo. Um, Hoodoo contains some um, oil formulas, a lot of oil formulas, and some of these are what we might say ceremonial in style, King Solomon oil or King Solomon wisdom mm-hmm. oil or Moses oil. Those were to be used literally with those seals. Um, also, there's angels and so forth oils. But most of the oils in hoodoo, the condition, that's why they're called condition oils, the situation, they have secular names, names mm-hmm. like pay me. You know, or love me. You know, they're real direct. Money drawing, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, compelling, uh, commanding, controlling. Those are very, very direct names. Domination oil. And different makers would make up different names, and some of the formulas would overlap. You know, know, there's room for a lot of artistry and inventiveness in these Mm -hmm. oils. But most of them are uh, about what you're going to do. And as you said, they will tell what the major interests of people are, you know, mm-hmm. because it, the oil is there. You go and ask for that oil. If you're if you're going to be asking for um, a wealthy way oil, you're obviously that's what you want, you know. Right. <laughs> you're, right. Not, you're not going to put on you're not going to put on um, you know oil of Jupiter. It'll be wealthy mm-hmm. way. You see. Right. Even the, yeah, even the difference from something like uh, Kiss Me Now or uh, Fire of Love, it's like a slightly different intention with what you're trying to do in your love life, you know? Mm-hmm. That's um, right. And some so. of them, some of the hoodoo oils come out of older uh, perfume recipes. Kiss Me Quick is where Kiss Me Now comes from, and Kiss Me Quick is an old English perfume. Um, mm. There are a number of those, like Jockey Club, which actually originated as what we might call a secular perfume and were adapted into becoming a hoodoo oil. Um, by usually by virtue of what herbs and and uh, scent was in them. For instance, Octagon soap, old soap brand made by Colgate, um, is scented with lemongrass. Well, lemongrass has an old African use for cleansing and cleaning, and so people used Octagon soap to spiritually cleanse themselves <laughs> because it was the scent was already there. They they recognize the scent. And now there's a lot of those that that are things that have acquired a magical reputation, which were not originated as a magical thing. Hoyt's cologne is a good example. Um, okay. Hoyt's cologne is a is a you know a nice, very nice, slightly cheaper copy of 4711 cologne from Cologne, Germany, and uh, it's called. We used to be called Hoyt's German cologne. Well, the name uh, Hoyt doesn't mean much, but the way it's spelled, the lettering looks almost like the lettering for Hoyle. And Hoyle made games, and Hoyle made a deck of cards. Hoyle's cards were used in gambling. And if you look at Hoyt's and Hoyle's, the lettering was just so similar that you could say, I'm going to use that Hoyt's cologne for gambling. And thus it was, and thus it now has ever been. And Hoyt's cologne is used for good luck and money. Right. Wow. Yeah. No, no, no. Before we uh, get too much further... uh, uh, Kat, you you have uh, you have uh, a, uh, a blog talk. Co- well, you got a couple of blog talk radio shows. 
and uh, you and uh, our our listeners might want to you know want uh, want to visit you on those, and uh, and you have so you want to tell us about uh, about this uh, your 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 radio network and and what what you've got going in. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Well, that's very kind of you to let me plug it. I, I sure will. Um, I've been uh, the co-host of the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour since forever. Um, as as my husband says, Nagashiva says, it's the uh, the longest-running radio show on hoodoo in the universe, which it probably is. But um, right now my co-host for, for the last number of years has been uh, Conjurman Ali. And uh, together we do this show every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on uh, Pacific Time or 6 Eastern Time. And we take um, two calls. We, we have a panel discussion. We bring in some member of AIR, the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, which is kind of a membership directory of ethical workers. CAST belongs to it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, CAST has been a guest on our show. You know, we, we bring in one guest. We talk about some aspect of root work. And then we take two calls and we do readings for them. Two different people do readings and we give them root work advice. It's an hour and a half show. Well, that gave rise to something called the LMC Radio Network, which is LMC stands for Lucky Mojo Curio. And the LMC Radio Network, the guy who wrote that Bible book, Charles or co-wrote it, Charles Porterfield, is the general manager of the LMC Radio Network. He has some radio experience. And, Polk, I've got to put you together with Professor Porterfield. The two of you put to cast, don't you think so? <laughs> yes, that would be a great show, guaranteed. Yeah, wouldn't it be? Just put the two in the room and the air will explode. <laughs> well, well, I, you know, as I told you, I, I am a, I am uh, was when I was uh, was kid. I I was an addict of of radio of radio drama in those days. You know, The Lone Ranger, and and, and we had all kinds of you know we 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 rush home uh, you know to get there by five o'clock in the before supper, and all the way from. Five o'clock till till uh, you know to six forty-five. We listened to these uh, radio drama serials, and I just loved it. And so I ended up making my own on my on my dad's dictaphone. And, and boy, that was that was wow. a, that was what what what, what <laughs> went. Dictaphones were were so primitive that uh, that that it, hardly anybody even remembers them. But I used to he used to bring it home from from uh, from his office, and I would and I would make radio programs on there. And we used comic oh, books God. for scripts. I used used my own uh, you know used my 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 friends, and we'd use comic books for scripts. And uh, so wow. we had a we had a lot of fun, and we we did we did a. And and wow. Blue Bolt was one of our favorite characters. You're probably familiar with him. Yeah, but, Blue Bolt, uh, sure. Blue Bolt, sure. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. So so uh, uh, I I just really I radio is uh, old, old especially old time radio shows like Escape, mm-hmm. you know, and The Shadow. All right. I was even. Well, that's what you got to meet. You got to meet Professor Porterfield. He is like a family member you didn't know you had. Um, uh, Charles Charles Porterfield has radio background. He uh, he does more voices than I can believe. Today he has his own show. Besides being the manager of our network, he has his own show, and it's called the Now You Know Show. And uh, just just tonight, right before your show started, I was listening to his show on Blog Talk Radio, and. Um, and I, he did this sort of soft teacher, female teacher voice, very gentle. And it reminded me a little of his own wife, who has an East Texas accent, a very distinct, high-pitched East Texas accent. And I typed in the chat room, Charles, I'll give $5 to the charity of your choice if you can do your wife's voice. And he did his wife's voice. And I still don't know if it was his wife pretending, but I paid $5 to the Southern Poverty Law Center um, because, but that guy can do any voice. He does, he, he does Doodles Weaver. You know who Doodles Weaver was? Do I do what? Yeah. Doodles Weaver. Remember Doodles Weaver? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, that, yeah that, that guy on Spike well. Jones. On Spike Jones. Oh, Doodles yeah. Weaver did that little, that little boy voice. Charles yeah. can do Doodles Weaver all day long. I, it's kind of freakish. Anyway, you got to you got to get to know him, and I got okay. to get you I gotta, together. I, I got to get to know Charles Porterfield. Yeah, 
and, oh and, yeah, uh, the and, old professor. Yeah. yeah, that we'll 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 we'll, we'll get together. But uh, now, no, well, we so. have a couple of other. Well, let me. Well, but let me let me just finish. We got a couple of other shows that are really good. We have in the streets with Beverly Smith, and this is a program on social justice. And we have another one called the Crystal Silence Hour, which is on meditation and crystals. And there's a, a wonderful show on Saturdays that is uh, called On Sacred Ground with Kai Armand, who's another member of AIR. Um, it's a it's a fantastic uh, show about the ecology and shamanism. On Mondays we have one called Candelo's Corner, which is Candelo Kimbisa, and it's about these exact same Afro-Caribbean uh, religions primarily. He goes into other religions, too, that we've been just talking about. And then... Um, there's, uh, have I missed any? Oh, yes, Wednesday, of course, is Andrea Weston and Liquid Libations Radio, and that's a live call-in poetry show, poetry and spoken word. You could even sing if you wanted to. And uh, she has little themes, you know, and each week will be something different, like like love poems or poems about, mm. you know, life or whatever, and children's poems and so forth. And it's a wonderful show, and people call in uh, and read their poetry. So that's what we've got going on, but um, we really have it. It's a it's a nice set of shows, and all of these folks working so hard to make uh, make you know blog talk radio experiences. I, I love it. I I really love you know I love being on your show because it's just a great venue, a great way to get um, people to you know hear, learn, and listen. They listen in their car while they're driving. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they 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 a lot of our people. Uh, listen to us while they're commuting, uh, and, and uh, yeah, and uh, of course out here in Los Angeles we spend. I think we spend as much time behind the wheel as we spend in bed, frankly. <laughs> and, 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 Probably so. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, so we 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 covered the the radio uh, the radio shows, uh, but but you also, you know, of course we are talking about Lucky Mojo and and. Uh, and what you have to offer, and and everything in in your website, and all. So so get uh, direct to direct our our, uh, our listeners to your to your Lucky Mojo sure. website. Oh, you're gonna just you're just flattering me up here. <laughs> uh, so Lucky Mojo started back. Um, it's a it's started as a business. I, I'd been making oils and herbs and candles for many years under the names of many different companies that I've had over the year. Pretty much every time I had a different mate, uh, I'd start a different company and. Um, so, but the Lucky Mojo was um, uh, started as a, an attempt to put hoodoo on the internet, and it has succeeded wildly. And um, it still comes out of my old interest in graphic art and comics art. I used a lot of art by an artist named Charles Dawson, who um, just it was an African American artist. He did labels for uh, different companies back in the 1930s, a lot of different companies, and I collect his original art. So I'd put the original art on labels. And color them, and you know, I just had this sort of fun thing with the graphics. But Lucky Mojo was a, a an attempt to put out all the recipes I knew, including a bunch of recipes that were given to me by a guy named Larue Marks, who had been the chief chemist at the Lucky Heart Company in Memphis. But they stopped making hoodoo supplies. They still exist. They still make cosmetics for the black community, but they do not make hoodoo supplies. And he was 85 years old and retired, and he gave me some of his recipes. So I put those in, and some of them I got my own recipes from other people. I pay people for a recipe. So Lucky Mojo has, at this point, we sell about 5,000 products, about 350 different condition oils, saint oils, Hindu oils, you name it, astrological oils and so forth. And um, we try to have a pretty label on every bottle. And they're all handmade. They're beautiful, handmade. And we have a whole team of about 14 people uh, working, making these. It started off in literally a mom-and-pop shop. It's grown to be quite large. No factory. Everything handmade. We sit out there on warm days like this. We sit out on a picnic table and do it. So go to LuckyMojo.com. When you get there, you'll see a bunch of little boxes. The top box gets you to the catalog. But I'm also a writer, and I put about 10,000 web pages online for free. And they tell you about hoodoo, they tell you about sacred sex, sacred landscape, um, good luck charms from around the world. If I feel like writing about it, I'll put it on a web page. And um, I give away as... Yeah, well, that's right, the book of the Vishanti. Right, right, about Doctor Strange. Yeah, I have a whole book about about Doctor Strange comics, right? Oh, um, I love to print columns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, if I feel like writing it, I put it online. And... Um, 
Uh, even including old Usenet facts from you know the old frequently asked questions from old Usenet news groups. Everything Nagashiva collected those. We just have a lot. Uh, there's a whole other website on on uh, you know that that we have on um, uh, collections of uh, interviews with people that mention hoodoo. You know, like it might be a jazz musician who mentions hoodoo, or it might be something that the government was asking slaves about their life, in, ex-slaves about their life in slavery. Whatever it was, that was during the the Roosevelt administration. If it mentions hoodoo, I'll put it at this place called Southern Spirits. I've got another whole section on blues lyrics that mention hoodoo. But there's a lot about other things. Like I said, I've got, I've got a lot about um, about sexuality and just different things, whatever interests me. It's all free. It's all free. Um, if you want to support me, buy one of the books that are in print. The print books cost what nine bucks, twelve bucks, depending on what they are. And I got to say another thing. One of the great things I put out with Cast was a uh. CD. <laughs> yeah, Cast Cast is a record producer, right? And um, he put out helped me put out something called Cat Ironwood's Hoodoo Jukebox and Conjure Toolbox with our um, friend, the late Dr. E, Eddie Gutierrez, and uh, a few of our other friends, Deacon Millett, Professor Ames, and um, Nagashiva Ironwood, and uh, a lot of other people kind of, you know, contributed a little bit here and there, but but it was a wonderful project, and um, and Cast is is to uh, thank for that one, because I don't know how to put oh, out a CD. Thank you. I'm honored to be part of the musical archiving of Hootie, which I, I really consider that as like a main piece for that. Uh, it really is. Yeah. It's a it's a study in yeah. itself, just looking through the lyrics and the background and the history and the commentary of, of all those songs. It's, it's an honor. You know, yeah. you know, and see, that music has come in so handy when these little jerks have come out and said, well, Hootie's really white. Um, yeah, right. That was me. That was me doing Charles Porterfield doing whatever he does. Um, uh, Hoodoo's really white, and uh, and I say no, it's not because if it was, there'd be white songs, songs by white performers right. about hoodoo, but there aren't. There's only mm-hmm. songs by black performers about hoodoo, so there you go. But that that CD has won a lot of people over to understand, open their eyes, and won them over mm-hmm. to see the truth, you know. And uh, so thank you, Cast, because that was a that was thank a. You. Yeah. Back breaking task. It, and we got that thing. Remember, we got that thing air shipped to us. Oh my God. Just, to get it in time for that festival. Time. And, yeah. and it has the well, conjure toolbox, which you can use uh, digital art for conjure work of the Solomonic Seals and these other pieces. But it has the magical uh, multimedia tools as a second disc in there, too. That's so, right. The second the disc, disc has has uh, has Seals of Solomon, Seals of Moses, some adapted tarot cards. Uh, petition papers and things that you can print out, and you and candle labels that were donated by Deacon Millet and uh, Doctor E. That you can print out these candle labels. Go down to the supermarket and buy those plain candles and put mm-hmm. the labels on. There you go. Right, right. Yeah, I want to thank both of you and 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 uh, Catherine. I think you know, uh, Lord, what Lawton Duquette says about me. He, he, he called. He called me. What, killed me a national treasure. One. Yeah, that's what I'm. I think. I think you deserve the national treasure. Uh, you, you deserve the national treasure Indeed. appellation more than I do. And and well, you have. You know. You know. You, from a from the standpoint of a of, of of contributing something to American culture, I think you've outdone us. And and right. Lucky Mojo is a wonderful, wonderful resource. And and uh, so. Uh, we're just about, you know, we're about out of time. And uh, I want to thank you. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Cast, for coming on board. And, so thank you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, All right. uh, next week, next week, we're going to have an important show because there is a movement going on in the magical community uh, and in the the scholarly end of it and whatever to try to take all the the signs of the zodiac and 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 the planets and stuff them back underground and uh Uh so i I call this the curse of the mastim and and, uh, (laughs) so in the meantime you can you can find you can find out who the Moschim are and 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 when you find out then you'll know how it got how this got started. So next week Indeed. next week the curse of the Moschim and uh thanks thanks again, uh Cat Ironwood and, and thank you to Cast Burgess and uh and and let's let's all uh, let's all get on uh,
lucky mojo and 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 uh, and and see what they what they got going for us. Okay, thanks again. And, All right. and uh, Cheers. Good we'll, thank we'll, you. We'll see you soon. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thank, thank you so much, folks. Lovely being on your show. Nighty <laughs> night cast. <laughs> Good night. Bye bye. Yeah.